you're listening to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast. It's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. And today I'm talking to artist, photographer, educator, Mara magyarosi Leitner, who is a Detroit-based artist who is exhibiting here at this library, right here in the Ferndale Library. So we're talking about her exhibition on this episode. We have an interview with her coming up. The opening reception is Thursday, February 8th at 6 o'clock. This is going to be a reception for Mara's show, The Untended Garden, which is also the name of her new book. She has a book of her photography. And we're gonna be talking all about this on this episode. Mara Magyarosi Leitner is a Detroit-based artist, educator, and curator. Her artistic work pairs experimental lens-based methods to explore identity through a symbolic and poetic perspective. We'll be talking all about that approach. She's an award-winning educator who combines her love of photography and her passion for connection in her approach to the classroom and her approach to art and life in the world. Uh, I can't wait for you to meet her, uh, not only through this podcast in about two minutes once I stop talking, but also later on February 8th, you should come to the library and meet her. Uh, she's also the founder of uh, the Silver Water Collective, which is an all-woman artist collective celebrating the work of fine art photographers. And her, war- or her work has been shown all over the, the world, uh, as well as across the U.S. Notably in Savannah, which we talk about, but very notably here in Ferndale, here in the library. The Untended Garden is Mara's visual reflection of the coming of age of women as viewed through the cyclical nature of life in a garden. And this month, literally this coming up week, she's releasing her book of photography, which is also titled The Untended Garden. It features essays by Dr. Anita Bates and Sarah Ayers, and it explores the expectations of women as informed by society and culture Uh, the transformation that women reach as they break through during their coming of age and the resolution of self that comes from the acceptance of flaws and the reality of aging. And so that in photography form, captivating as that might, that setup might sound is now framed and hung here in the library. So without further ado, here is our interview with Mara Magyarosi Leitner, Detroit based artist, photographer, and educator talking about the untended garden. It's Mara Magyarosi Leitner. Hello. Hello. Hey, so you're on this podcast because you came in and joined me and you helped me hang a ton of amazing artwork. And we're so grateful to be exhibiting your works here in our space. We are so appreciative. And folks, mark your calendars. Come to the library on February 8th. That's a Thursday evening because Mara will be here. Her amazing photography work will be here, which we're about to talk about. And she'll be talking about her book that she's been working on for a long, long time. Both the book and the exhibition are titled The Untended Garden. So hello, Mara. How are you? I'm great. Great, (laughs) great, great, great. So can you, I guess, first discuss, let's not start at the beginning. Let's start right that'd be a long this would be a long story we're gonna jump back to the beginning we're gonna do this kind of quentin tarantino style and start at the start at the end when let's just say because i'm gonna provide some visuals for anyone who's going to our website or or 
looking in our podcast show notes of some of the dazzling dreamlike surreal work that is featured in the untenant garden both the book and the library can you just talk about how you wound up getting into that process what even is all that process what what inspired you to well is experimental the right word talk about the untended garden i guess that's my simple first question talk about the untended garden um experimental is 100 percent the right word i am um I am definitely an experimental and alternative process photographer. I very much enjoy um, doing things that make it so that my work doesn't feel like it's uh, in some ways part of this reality. Um, And so I like playing with things like um, shooting through glass or, or transferring my work onto different surfaces or things that remove it from just being a straight photograph. Sure. Um, there's there's a lot of talk in the photography world about whether or not photography is an art. And obviously we could go down that rabbit hole 100 percent, which is pretty wild. Um, and of course, like the fine art photographers have won and we've won for like years and years. But um, part of that discussion comes from the fact that um, a lot of photography is replicated over and over again, like you can print it or you can do other things. And so my work, I I make a point to make it so that replicating it isn't as easy. So that's that's kind of where some of that is coming from. Maybe, um, maybe, hun- maybe that's a good point though, because let's talk to the folks out there who might have uh, perhaps not a full perception of photography. Let's expand their let's expand their lens because, yeah, I mean, a lot of people might think, well, photographers are probably really good at finding the exact right angle when they point their camera at the thing or the person. Right. And that's <laughs> all they're good at because they're real good at angles and timing. Or maybe they take a thousand photos and they pick the one or maybe they think it's maybe they have it's like, oh, aren't all photographers like wedding photographers? You're talking yeah. about this whole other thing after you press after you snap the uh here i am not even educated yes snap the picture yeah so every a lot of what i'm doing there's parts of what i'm doing that happens in camera and then a lot of what i'm doing happens after like post um and so the and a lot of times when people talk about posts they're talking about things like digital processing right like shifting the color um if you hear about somebody photoshopping somebody right they're changing their skin or they're doing different things and yes like there is an element of that in my work i made a point of having a very distinctive color palette for a reason um but i a lot of what i'm doing actually happens after that so um i will print my work. I will um, print it on a special substrate that makes it so that the ink can transfer onto different surfaces. And for some of my photographs, I then take flowers and different objects and lay it back over top of that print and then re-photograph it again. And so um, the work has this kind of um, situation when you're looking at it that you're not sure if things are laid on top if they're really physical if they're real like uh, i've had so many people walk up and want to poke my work just because they're like <laughs> they think that the flower is there and then it's not and then they're like what is this sorcery like it definitely has that kind of like energy to it and so that is all based off of process right that's based off of like the goal of of 
wanting my work to align with uh, a lot more with the idea behind it and wanting to make sure that every single decision that I'm making matches that idea. So you've been mentioning flowers. You've been mentioning putting things on top of things. Maybe uh, for anyone who hasn't opened the book yet or seen anything yet, describe, I know this is a big con- question, describe the concept behind the intended garden. Uh, I got you. The, the themes that tie these and how there are three acts. Yes. So the untended garden is the coming of age of myself, but also women, right? Um, seen through the lens of a garden. And I separated it into three acts. The first act is um, expectations that are put on women by society and culture. The second act is the transformation that happens with the coming of age. And the third act is the acceptance of flaws that happens with the reality of aging, right? And so each act has distinctive visual qualities to it. There's things that tie them all together as a whole. I would say the color palette ties them all together as a whole. Um, The fact that I'm doing like alternative experimental process things is also tying them together. But when it comes to um, there's specifics about each one that set it apart. So for example, um, act one is all about expectations. And so I took objects that were related that were related to the expectations that are put on women, like things like um, makeup and um, hair and just different things that related to those expectations and also mix them with things that are coming from the garden. So I was I was very, specific i wasn't specific that i wanted certain types of flowers and those flowers to have meanings because that really wasn't what this was about but i was specific that i wanted there to be roots Mm -hmm. seeds live dead everything the whole range right and i put them together and made them into these little still life tableau situations uh on top of light boxes and photographed them and then i made transfers of them and um and onto paper and so you can see the brush strokes in the image so even though they are photographs they kind of feel like paintings and it and um it sets the stage right because when you think about acts especially when you talk about acts it's usually in a book or literature or play structure the act one is your establishment right what brought us here and what where are all of our characters sitting and why are they sitting here and what's happening right and then the second act is always like the situation or the um, the the change, right? That's brought to the table. And it, that can be good or bad. A lot of times they say that it's like the problem, but it's not necessarily the problem in this case, it's the shift, right? And so the second act is about the transformation that comes um, with the coming of age. And that's just from, I read this quote and um, when I was doing my research and I couldn't tell you who it's by, but it, but I did cite it in the book, so you would know. Sure. Um, and it said that um, women, girls start to refer to themselves as women anywhere between the ages of like, it's something like 18 to 70, which is the weirdest and most ridiculous range of ages. Like you are very different between the ages of 18 and 70 years old, right? And the fact that it's not a straight process, right? It's not an immediate thing that shifts you from one thing to the next. And sometimes it's not linear. And so act two are laid out. So they are uh, visual timelines Mm -hmm. that overlap and change. 
And they're specific to that because I wanted to reference that idea of like, my grandma and her sisters refer to themselves as the girls. Mm -hmm. They're in their 80s, right? And so like, this is not, you know, and I'm in my 30s and this is like, how do I refer to myself and where am I at and who am I? And where does, where does that identity shift in how I view myself? Right. Mm-hmm. And then the third act, which is in, in plays and books and everything, the third act is that conclusion. Right. But in this is the acceptance of flaws and the coming of age or the acceptance of flaws and the reality of aging. Sorry. Um, and that is their self portraits taken of me with a um, lens that's uh a lens baby like velvet lens which is a very like old hollywood kind of vibe lens to it and i photographed myself and the parts of myself that i didn't really appreciate and then i did my best to make them as beautiful of pieces as i could possibly make them so i took them with that lens so it kind of softened things and then i transferred them onto paper, which took them a step further. And then I laid flowers over top of them, which took them even further than that. In each for, in each separation, right, between myself and the viewer made it so that um, it's almost like an act of veiling, right? Because it's like you're just thinking about like how you view yourself, how that changes over time, how that acceptance happens. And so that's the, that's the overarching vibe of the three acts and what's going on in them i have so many questions where do i go first uh how about (laughs) how about how i guess how long of a process is this and that's also my sneaky way of asking when and how did you come to that as like your three acts when did they all lock in did you come to that all in order what was that process like okay because it's almost like you're yes you're creating photographs and art to express this but it it almost I almost feel like you do have a narrative outline as a Mm. writer almost underneath it yes so um I created this body of work as a part of my MFA through the Savannah College of Art and Design and so while I was making it um the MFA process burns you down and starts you over again (laughs) I mean that I mean that is the That is the distinctive way that I can describe it. I came in there a very different person and left a very different artist. And um, when I started that MFA, I was making work from hyperstimulation, which was the work that I was making the last time I showed at the library. And so and I I came in there like, okay, I'm just going to keep it moving on hyperstimulation. This is important work. Let's go. And realized very quickly that I had already done everything I wanted to do with that. And so it was like, okay, well, now what, right? And and then the pandemic happened, right? And so I was trapped in my studio at my house for the entirety of 2020 with teaching at home and seemingly nothing to do when the kids were all working and doing different things. And so I just started making a lot of different work, a lot of different bodies of work while I was there. But also at the same time, I was... I was going through a very strange time in my life. I was switching jobs. I was having, you know, I was kind of like, we were all riding the mental health train during this time. Like we didn't know where we all were at. Right. And that was, that was very much where I was too. And, um, and I started feeling like I didn't recognize myself when I was looking in the mirror and I watched this, um, 
talk from the Society of Photographic Educators and Nick Shepard was speaking and everybody was doing these virtual talks at the time, right? And so I um, I was watching this and he said, untended gardens gather dust. And I had such a visceral reaction. It was like somebody punched me in the throat because I was like, is that what I am now? Am I an untended garden? And that's what's happening to me, right? And from there is where I started making work. Like I knew the name of it and I knew where I, why I was here before I ever touched the camera to make anything for it, which is rare. It doesn't usually work like that. A lot of times photographically you're out there making work, just making it to make it. And then, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, this all goes together. Oh wait. Okay. Let me title this now. You know, let me see where I'm at. But it wasn't like that with this. This was very specific. So then from there, it's just a matter of like, because your original question was, did I know the narr the narrative of, at the beginning? And no, it was, I had a set of guiding questions that I kind of set myself down the path with. So I like, um, what happens if we emphasize rather than hide our damage, right? And, and um, just like, am I an untended garden as a person, right? And so I started photographing that in a lot of different ways. There's really probably like seven, eight acts of the untended garden, really when it comes down to it, just of like variations of how I was trying to tackle it. Some obviously much more successful than others and some very much had to go to the garbage. And so, but you have to get through that to understand where you're going. And for a long time, I was mixing everything together um, and it didn't feel right because I had to write my thesis about the whole thing, which was the thesis was where the book situation started coming into play because I was writing anyway. Right. And um, and when I was writing my thesis for it, I realized I couldn't understand structurally how to organize it. Like it just kept not making sense how to talk about the work. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, I keep mixing this together. They can't be mixed. They're three different paths. Like they're three different parts of the same story. And I need to talk about them in that way. And that, so that's kind of how that happened. We'll get back to that book, but maybe just also talk about, because this is something anyone will notice immediately and it, it's very distinct, is the color palette. Can you talk about that mm -hmm. and how you came to that and what it means? Yes, 100%. So part of this, part of the color palette was because a lot of times when people have talked about my work previously, I'm a, a color girly. I mean, I love black and white work, but I tend not to work in that way. And so... um my previous work was using like very like neon colors, right? And I've kind of, I've receded back from that a lot, but um, I was in a review once uh, a few years before the Untended Garden and somebody had said to me in kind of like a derogatory way, but like your work is very pretty. And so I'm sure it could do well at a commercial gallery, but does it mean anything? Oh, so, which woo -hoo, oh. <laughs> right? So of course I was like, okay, I have thoughts, but you know, and so, and that's something that kind of repeatedly kept coming up. Oh, Mar, your work is so beautiful, but what does it mean? Oh, does it even connect to what you're talking about? Like it, if you didn't have your artist statement next to your work, could anybody understand what you're doing? Like, and that just kind of kept coming up. So I wanted to make sure that this body of work was the prettiest thing I've ever made in my life, right? And that the that the palette itself, these 
purples and um, pinks and these warm kind of tones all come back to this idea of girlhood and womanhood and and being told as a little girl that pink is stupid and all these like and just leaning into all of the things that we're continuously told that we shouldn't be excited about or like because it's about girls and about women and why is that why is that okay to be talking about it in that way so that's really the emphasis Well, just subjectively, I'll say that, and maybe this is uh, for listeners of the podcast, we've had staff walk through and people are loving it. And I've even had one staff person say of the many art exhibitions that I've been able to book here that this is their favorite to date. And they're really, um, they're really blown away by it. So oh, that's tell, exciting. tell that person <laughs> who gave you the backhanded compliment. Uh, but then go back to how you come into making a book. Because uh, it does seem like, well, I am doing all this writing anyway. Maybe it could be a book. But that also is just like a lot of people are like, well, I could write a book. But as you discovered, writing a book is a long process. It's hard. But like talk about it all is. that. Well, and I think, too, I think that it's important to note that a photography and art books tend to be a little different, right, than than traditional like fiction or nonfiction publication right. because there is not as much writing. The work is the 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 photographs, the art pieces are are the communication, mm -hmm. right? And so, yes, there are some there is some writing in the book, and I have um, there's essays written from uh, Dr. Anita Bates and Sarah Ayers wrote um, essays like responding to the work, and I included excerpts from my a thesis of of information of what's going on in the book and all of those things but when it comes down to it like it is a way to get the intended garden to as many people as i can because a lot of times people are not going to see it in exhibitions because exhibitions might not be close to them and i've i have traveled the work to different spaces but i still want people to be able to see it. Right. And I think that was my initial motivator. I am a book person. I collect photography books. I've been collecting photography books since I was in my first years of photography classes. Um, one of my teachers just would hand hand us books when we were not feeling like we didn't know where we were at. And so she would just be like, well, look at this and then tell me where you think you're at after that. And so from the second that I started teaching, I started collecting books at every, every Christmas holiday birthday. I would just ask everybody to give me photography books because they were expensive and I was a student and I couldn't swing it. Right. <laughs> and so gradually now my my library is pretty extensive and I keep it at school too. So all of my, my students that I teach have access to it all the time, which I think is super oh, yeah. fun, which is also funny too, because I've had visitors come to the class and they're like, Oh my God, you let them touch those. Like <laughs> I have special editions and different things. And they're like, you let them touch those. And I'm like, yeah, because books are made to be lived. Like, this is why I don't, I'm not making the intended garden to sit on a shelf and nobody ever look at it again. Like it is, it is a tool of communication and a way to visit and enjoy the work. And I think that 
photography is meant to be in print. And so being able to see it, even though it isn't the same as maybe the way that like the work is exhibited and the choices that I make in the work, if you see it in real life, that's a little different too. But I think that it's a good close second for people to be able to be able to see and be able to enjoy the work and support artists in other ways. And photography books have had such a gigantic um, blow up in the past, I would say 10 years or so. There are so many small houses that are making publications. There's so many um, different spaces that are backing books. There's so many nonprofit book spaces that are doubling down on photography. And I think this is just the right time to throw this body of work that I feel like is so important, but if I stop showing it, I don't, I don't want the conversation to go away. Sure. And so that's where this, like this, somebody had told me that, well, books are eternal, right? Like they're, once it's out there, you know, you, when I was writing the, my bio for the book, I got like, Hey, you need to change this and this and this because books are eternal and you want this to work for you. 10 years from now, 50 years from now, you know, you want people to know about you. And I was like, oh my goodness, I never even thought about it in that way. The, it's a very romantic way to think about it. Oh yeah. <laughs> the book is also like an epic comprehensive uh, artist statement uh, for the for the show. But I think you'd mentioned this too, and I think it's worth noting, is that as you were developing the book, didn't you get kind of a very, I, I would c- consider helpful or constructive note of like there has to be a little bit more you in this book right yes especially because like this does or does not have to be some like grand overarching statement like this is the full philosophy of the entire experience of womanhood but it Mm -hmm. at the end of the day not to make a pun or anything it's through your lens right literally right 100 percent so I um while I've been making this book so I started the work in 2020 And then I've been making the book itself for over a year. So books take a long time. And I am, I have designed everything about this and done everything about this. Um, My friend Lily Resto has definitely helped me with the editing process of it, but I I've done like the design of the book, a closet designer out here. And so um, I've taken it to photography reviews and different things, which is just like, Uh, I don't know if a lot of people maybe necessarily know this outside of the fine art photography world, but that is how um, curators and gallerists and different people find who they're going to show the next year or the next five years or start the conversations, right? You go to these reviews and these reviews happen all over the country. And so sometimes they're virtual, sometimes they're in person, whatever. And so the past few reviews, I've been bringing the book even though it was like at a rough draft stage because I wanted them to see like, here's what I'm thinking, here's where I'm at. And because also it's a good way to get a lot of opinions really quickly. And so I was talking, even if um, you read my thesis, which is like, that's a whole, that's, I mean, that's a lot of shenanigans, but I spoke about it very kind of removed. Like I'm, this is the coming of age of women. Mm -hmm. This is, um, women are put, these expectations are put on women, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I was at a, re- uh, a review recently, it was mentioned probably three or four times from different people like, hey, yeah, that's all well and good, but Mara, these are self-portraits. 
these are about you. Like this is about your experience and the coming age of you specifically. And so we're missing that in your statements. We're missing that in your, um, in how you're writing about yourself within the book. And like, even like my artist statement was kind of a little floaty. Right. And so I, um, so then I started adding in handwritten elements into the book of the questions that I was asking myself when I was making the acts and the questions that were happening, because I wanted there to be more of that element of me that, that this was driven by my own experience and that, my own experience then is going to make it so that I can have empathetic conversations with other people about this topic, which is a lot kind of how I make work in general. Anyway, when I was making hyperstimulation, it was about anxiety disorder and disorders in people. And it was based off of me having one and me doing my own research. And then that created conversations, but it, it just took me a minute to get there, which I mean, happens. (laughs) (laughs) You've, uh, I don't want I don't want to blow this up into a whole thing, but I, I almost feel like it is a good point to dive into it because we are talking about how this is your art, your statement, your lens, your perspective, and you are in fact making it very beautiful and compelling and also relatable, but gosh, darn it. Why are there some people out there who just don't think of photography as art? <laughs> I know. Right. Isn't that crazy? Um, and it just, it just comes down to people. Well, it comes down to a few things. I mean, it comes down to, um, people that view art as an investment, right? Which is definitely a conversation. Sure. Sure. People do. They view art as an investment. And when, um, when you think about art as an investment, if somebody can continuously make copies of their work over and over and over again, the investment goes down. And so that's why if you make a painting and you make one painting, Mm -hmm. well, yeah, that's why it can go up for as much as it is, which is actually why photographers do things called editions. So my work is set in editions, which means that um, if you were to get one of my pieces, I can only print a certain number of those and that's it. And that's where that's coming from. The first act is in something called a variant edition, which means that every piece from that act is individually, um, transferred so the brush strokes will be slightly different in each one even though the image may be the same so that's just where that's coming from and that's and that is a way that photographers have kind of quote-unquote solved this problem right sure sure but i mean ultimately speaking photography has always been a a way it, it visual language is a way to communicate and photography is one of probably one of the most accessible ways for people to be able to visually communicate, especially now with having phones and this and that, whatever. Right. And so people are always like, well, is photography dead? No, because we're all doing things in very vastly different ways. And the people who really care about what they're doing and they're really going for it are doing weird inventive stuff. And that's, and that's the awesome part about it. There's space for all of us that are making all sorts of crazy things. I want to also jump back to the book and just, first of all, just congratulate you on, on finishing it. And I wonder if you could just mention to any listeners out there, I know it's not apples to apples here, but it is there. Maybe there is a few shreds of universality and just the experience of putting a book together. Do you patience? Patience is key, but any, uh, any advice to people out there now that you went through that gauntlet? Yes. So, um, I think it's important to note that I um, I went through 
a self-publishing process with my book. Um, and then in the act of self-publishing, created my own publishing press because I decided that I now that I have this experience that I can help others if I want to, or I just think that it's neat if all of my books come out under the same press, like that idea. Mm -hmm. And there's other people who are doing this up in the photo world who are kind of running their own press and then just working with their own books underneath it. And I just thought that that was like a smooth way to do it. So that's how I came up with Starling Common Press. Um, but the, the process of bookmaking has been very insane and also intense at times. It's but one of the things that I had to decide very early on was what was I not willing to move on, right? There are some things that I was willing to, to take a hit on and there's some things I very much wasn't. And I knew right off the jump that I wanted to have my book to have a sewn binding, a Smith binding. I wanted it to have a, um, I wanted it to have uncoded um, pages because that's what I'm printing on is uncoded pages. And I wanted the paper quality to be a like very beautiful paper quality that I would enjoy because I am a paper nerd. So I can't just have it be whatever, right? And so I started working, I, I started doing research. I was reaching out to different companies because there's a lot of companies that self-publish photo books in like a, hey, I had pictures at this birthday party and let me just send them in and whatever. But then there's the books, then there's the group of people that self-publish photo books that are the, hey, I created a body of work of importance. I'm going, I wanna publish these out. I wanna get a, a larger number of them. Let me work with these people. So I started like collecting paper quality and that and getting quotes. Then I reached out, somebody was like, oh, you should reach out to local presses. And I was reaching out to local presses and there was a press that I was working, that I started a conversation with that I said these things very specifically. And they, when they sent me paper, they did not listen oh, no. at all. And it was like, the paper felt like wax and felt like, it almost felt like nails on a chalkboard when you were touching the paper. And I was like, okay, am I crazy? Like, what do I have to give up, right? And if I would have, just said whatever and went with it. Yeah, the book would have been out eight months ago, right? But I was like, no, that's out. I can't do this because like we were saying, books are forever and they're and this is the this is how the work will be remembered. And so I need it to be what I need it to be within that caliber and quality that I want. I probably went through, I don't know. I mean, I think we're at 19 formal design savings, but also like the million idiosyncrasy little save, save, save here and there of versions of the book, right? <laughs> um, and each time it was very different. And each time I went back and I printed it and I looked at it in person and I made book dummies and I taped them together with packaging tape and like, and I just wanted to get my hands on what, makes sense um i remember i was sitting at a uh at a bar with my mentor rebecca nolan and uh i slid her one of them it was like version three mm -hmm. right i was like oh yeah she's gonna love this i slid it to her and she goes mara you need to find a designer and she said it like that and i was like no i don't Whoa. but i hear you Whoa. right like, no i don't i'm gonna do this 
because it the work's so personal to me that I didn't want to let anybody else touch it. Yeah. And I felt like it just had to be, if I couldn't make the book, it didn't feel worth it, right? And so I was like, okay, heard, right? And then she was, and that was because at the time they all had white backgrounds and were very, it felt very designed like how photography books are today, right now. I mean, if you look at any photography book, you'll look, it's white backgrounds, plates in the middle, all of that. And she goes, but this doesn't feel like you. So you need to make this feel like you. And so then I went back and I looked at it again. And I changed this, changed that, changed this. And then one of the days I was looking at it and I was like, I think I need to shoot images for the backgrounds. And then I redid everything. And then from that point, all of a sudden it was on. We were like, okay, here we go. Like, this is a whole different thing. And that was just the design of like how the, everything was laid out. And then it was like figuring out the writing part and figuring out uh, who you want to work with you for your writing. Like I picked Anita and Sarah distinctively because they are two curators that I've worked with for a long time that know and understand my work. And yeah, I could have reached out to like other people maybe or whatever, but I wanted everything about this to be like to hold that importance mm -hmm. of like who they are to me, who, you know, everything that's going on with that too. That's also why I wanted to have the book launch at the Fernhill Library because you guys gave me one of my first like bigger shows for hyperstimulation. And so when you guys reached out, I was like, well, because I had held steady that I have not shown this work as a body of work since I did my first exhibition for it in Savannah. I've shown it in onesie, twosie things all over the world, but I did not want to show it unless it felt right. Wow. And so I wanted to have the capsule exhibition here of being able to show the work in, in partial in portion, but I still was like, okay, it has to feel right or else I won't do it. And that's been my like gut instinct across this entire process. I didn't care how long it took me. This could have took me the rest of my life. But if it didn't feel correct, it wasn't going to happen. And so I think that that's, it's hard because I'm stubborn and that maybe everybody doesn't have time for that in the, in the process. But that's definitely where I came from in the process. So that I knew when this book finally came out, it was something that I would be very proud of and excited to have out here and that there was no regrets. That's so powerful and we're so honored that we could be the place where you're doing that. That is so powerful. Uh, the only other like tiny question I would have is that I know we have about 18 or 19 pieces here on display. I imagine there's more. Do you have like the actual number in your head of what the Yeah, no, shows? there's um there are 36 okay. plates for for the untended garden. Um and and yeah, so there there are definitely more pieces. You can see them on the website. You can see them in different spaces. In the book. I've, I've shown them. Yep, they're in the book. All of them are in the book, right? So you can see all of the examples. But I think that we chose a good set oh, yeah. to to have at the library to to show like the essence of what the book is about and to have it feel curated. And uh, one thing I'm really excited too about the library show is that when you walk in, you can see like the designs of the pages in the first hallway, which I think is super fun too. Oh, yes. So hopefully you at home listening are as excited as I am after hearing that whole story. Mara, thanks so much for telling us your whole story. We'll have to have you back on and we can do the whole, how'd you get into photography? I imagine that's a whole other episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> Listen, I will come back anytime you want. Yeah, I but, can. I can talk about photography all day. There's a lot of things. I also want people to come to the reception and come right up to you and say, "Hi, Mara. How did you get into photography?" And then you can you can tell them all right then and there in person. Yeah, then we can have a whole soiree on that. That's yeah. a whole thing. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna share some images, and we'll have more information in our show notes for this podcast. But uh, that is. That is the key detail. Thursday, February 8th, 6 to 8 o'clock. Come to the library. We'll be hanging out. Uh, we'll be looking at uh, even more images. I think the book will be there, Mara. Yep, that is that is the plan. All right. Uh, well, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I will have a link to Mara Magyarosi Leitner's website. Also, provided to you, the listener of this fine little podcast that we make here inside of the library. I'm like... I'm 20 feet away from art with my little microphone right here. Uh, it's a little too quiet. It's the Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. If you want to find more information about supporting this podcast, visit ferndalefriends.org. You could also come to the art reception and meet John Duffy, who will be providing some ambient music in the background. He is also the person that you hear intro and outro music on this podcast from. You can meet that human being in the flesh uh, at the art reception. <laughs> Uh, come on so you know you want to do that you've heard John Duffy's name on this podcast every week my name is Jeff of course and we thank you for listening and we'll be back next week with more thanks for thanks for listening which I just said until next time <laughs>